Hey, Just Story listeners. Today we're hearing the first of a two-parter that features Pastor Rhonda Pruitt. In this episode, we hear about her young life, including some of her influences as well as challenges that she faced as a young woman of color in some predominantly white spaces. Pastor Rhonda is a great storyteller, and I know you'll enjoy her and come away with something. Hello, and welcome to Just Stories. We share inspiring stories of real people leading lives impacted by social justice, advocacy, and service. Hear how our guests have used their experiences to make a difference in the lives of others. And remember, it's all about the story, theirs and yours, just stories. And hello, Just Story listeners. Uh, glad to have you listening in on this one. We've got a great guest. Rhonda Pruitt is with us today. And I am your host, uh, Mark Fazek. And I'm going solo today. Our, it's been a busy fall for the three of us. And Jean and Cheryl are otherwise, um, I have other appointments tonight. And so they can't make it. And so I'm, it's my pleasure to uh, be with you. But I'm, I'm in no, I have no concerns at all because I've got a great dynamic woman with me today who's going to help me host this this one. So, oh, Pastor Rhonda, hello, 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 and how are you? I am well. Thank you for the invitation to uh, join on and have conversation. Um, of course, you know, I have enjoyed working in partnership with you uh, alongside ministry responsibilities, but it's good to just be able to to chat and, and converse and, and spend some time uh, outside of ministry settings in the sense that we get to delve into some real good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And um, whoever else is out there, by the way, Mark, to, is this one of those things where somebody else is out there or who's like, who do we know who's listening or if anybody's there, listening? We're hoping there's other people out there listening, but I will tell you, yeah, I, I'm excited about tonight too. And just uh, enjoying some time talking with you and uh, letting our listeners listen into that conversation. Um, we do have listeners. In fact, just tonight, we crossed over the 900 threshold, so that's exciting. Nice. We've been kind of pushing our way towards 1,000 listens, and so uh, we've got like 906 listens, which is kind of cool. And you know, for a podcast, I don't know, that's a little bit. You know, you think about memes and all those types of things that get millions and millions, but that's like a 15-second commitment to listening to something. These things are like 30 or 40 minutes. So when people listen, they're a little more committed to that. Do you know what I mean? That's nice to have faithful followers and to have it growing. Yeah, we are we are growing and we're we're in season two now and we have had listeners from the state of Illinois. 75% of our listeners are from the state of Illinois, but we do have listeners from throughout the country, all, all, just about all the states and uh, and beyond our nation. We've got listeners in, uh, throughout the world and I will tell you where if you wonder where. I am curious. I'd like to know who's tuning in, and I'm okay. trying to figure out if one of them is my mama. Okay. She looks. Yeah, she's in the south. So if you name off a southern state, I'll be listening. Well, I'm not going to go through all the states because there's a lot of states. Is she? Oh, is wow. your mom? Is your mom in Mississippi? Do I remember? She is. Okay. Yeah. Well, she better be listening. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. If and not, then you guys just went up to 907. There we go. There we go. Outside of the United States, we have Germany. Australia, Ireland, the United Kingdom, France, Canada, Sweden, Cyprus, Suriname, India, 
Turkey and Spain. So we have listeners out there and uh, that's pretty exciting. I'll tell you, if you are a listener outside of Illinois or inside of Illinois for that, for that matter, and you are um, moved or you you feel like giving us some feedback on Just Stories, let us know. We, you can email us at JustStoriesOSLC at gmail.com. That's just like the name, JustStoriesOSLC at gmail.com. And uh, let us know where you're from, listening from, and let us know how you like the show. So um, without further ado, though, I would love our listeners to get to know you a little bit. I, I've known you, Pastor Rhonda, for a few years now, but uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by all the good things that has gone in your life before I met you. So listeners, Pastor Rhonda has been an ordained minister of Word and Sacrament in the ELCA, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, since 2013, and serving as an associate pastor of youth and families since 2015. Um, is that uh, specifically at Our Saviors since 2015? Yes. I My first call was actually in a town called Wilmette, Illinois. So. Okay. All right. And uh, she completed her MDiv, that's Master of Divinity at Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, and has served continuously in the Metropolitan Chicago Synod, which is her home synod. While Pastor Ron has been ordained for a brief time, she has a lifetime worth of service and participation in the ELCA. She grew up at Bethel Lutheran Church on Chicago's west side and cultivated and nurtured a faith community from which many pastors and lay leaders have come. The instruction she received, as well as participating in a variety of service opportunities, equipped her for the call she's now living. Camp, confirmation, mission trips, serving on church council, and working in and for Christian educational systems are just a few of the experiences that helped her to discern a call to rostered leadership. But that's not all. That's not all. That's only a portion of who Pastor Rhonda is. She's a proud member of a large family. Um, she's a storyteller extraordinaire, which of course we're excited about because here it's all about the story. Um, hey, yeah. seems like this was a good matchup. I think so. I think so. There's a reason why we called you. Um, she's a traveler and wait for it, a shoe connoisseur. Yes, we all know that about Pastor Rhonda. She loves her shoes. So yes, indeed. Um, she loves all things summer uh, and finds this is funny. She's finding the only thing that makes winter bearable is Jesus and pomegranates. So all uh, right, um, but when she's not busy and she's very busy with ministry responsibilities, um, she spends her time with her mother, godparents, siblings, and her family. Um, she's the proud mother of identical twins, Jaden and Jahari. Uh, who are the joy and light of her life. And she also has a little fur baby. Um, now, a fur baby means, I know who your fur baby is, but fur baby could be cats or hamsters or bunnies or what is Caleb? Caleb is a five-pound chihuahua. Chihuahua. Yeah. Okay. Chihuahua. Yeah. Chihuahua. Wasn't, the chihuahua, wasn't there a famous chihuahua in the commercials? Um, yes, in the Taco Bell commercial. That's right, Taco Bell. We used to walk around saying, yo quiero Taco Bell. That's right. Yeah, and that's Caleb. So that's a little bit about uh, Pastor Rhonda. And again, very excited to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. And um, I'd like to just jump right in if we can. Sure. Let's do because, that. Yeah. Um, you uh, and I, I think uh, if our listeners aren't aware, you're a woman of color who is a pastor and what at least I perceive to be a predominantly white denomination, the ELCA. 
Um, and I could be wrong about that, so you're gonna have to fill me in a little bit more about that. Um, but I, I wonder if you can share with us uh, a little bit about that story of um, what drew you into ministry and, and why the ELCA? Well, you are right. The ELCA is a predominantly white Protestant denomination. Um, it is not typically known uh, in the United States, I will say, in other places uh, in some of the countries in Africa or in some of the um, Spanish speaking countries, uh, the EOCA is not predominantly right. It is predominantly um, whatever the, the identity of the native citizens there are. Uh, but here uh, in America, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America um, is predominantly um, a Caucasian denomination of faith. So uh, growing up, um, and I'll, I'll bridge back into this. So I'll tell you why that becomes important. So when I was in preschool, we uh, had a teacher. I went to a little preschool called Little Folks College. And one of my teachers there was a member of a church on Chicago's West Side uh, over in K-Town. Uh, and she attended a church called Bethel. When it became time for me to leave preschool and my mom was considering um, elementary schools for me, this teacher suggested Bethel, which was out of our range because it was a private school. And so my mom was a single mom um, and we were making it do, we were making it happen. Uh, she was working downtown, Bethel was on the west side and we lived right at the edge of Chicago and Oak Park on the Oak Park side. And so my mom never thought she could do it. And when we went over to check it out, um, the principal Hazel Hudson at the time, um, told my mom not to consider that to be the defining factor for what kept me out of school. Uh, they laid out a daycare program after a full day kindergarten program and as well as a um, uh, after school program and a before care program. So I started Bethel School um, as a kindergartner and it was where my mom felt safe leaving me. It was where I was nurtured. It was where I was educated. Um, and it was still within the community. And from there, I never knew anything about a Bethel church. I only knew Bethel school. But every Tuesday afternoon, a delegation of kids would leave Bethel school and head over to the church. There was something that happened every Tuesday. And one day I got in line and I wasn't supposed to because I was part of the kids who stayed behind, but I got in line and I followed the kids over there and they spent a good amount of time looking for me and they came over to the church and saw me over there singing. Turns out that they were going over for choir rehearsal and faith instruction night. Uh, the pastor at the time, David Nelson, had a Tuesday evening um, faith education night for the youth and choir rehearsal was included in that. And so the bottom line is that I started going. Well, my so mom had been talking. So you wandered over there and, and um, they were looking for you, right? And you were in the church? Is that what well, happened? I wandered. I didn't so much wander alone, but there was a line. You know, there was a certain amount of kids who lined up every day, at a, right. at, every Tuesday at a certain time. And so I got in line and nobody paid attention. I'm just having, um, this, I'm just having this vision of people looking for little Rhonda and finding her in the church. Am I right? Not you know, yes. not knowing where you are, and 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 did you look up and say, "Well, of course I'm here at my father's house. Where else would I be?" <laughs> I wish I were more like Jesus than that. No, I think the principal was just relieved that I was okay, um, and um, 
um, the the futuristic backdrop to that story is the principal and the pastor eventually got married later in their years. Oh, okay. um, however, um, I would I regularly went to her house. If my mom had to work late, the principal would take me home with her family. Wow. Uh, her sister was the after school care arts and crafts teacher, and so. Um, I became one of their kids. They had about five kids in their family who were participating in after-school programs, all of us students at Bethel School. Um, and so in the afternoon, if my mom was working late, the principal would simply call my mom and say, hey, we're headed to my house, pick her up from over there. So I became one of the children who became an extended part of the village. And so um, there wasn't really a cause for alarm, except for nobody knew that I had gone over there. I was just curious that day, you know, after seeing these kids go every week, I was curious. I wanted to get in line. And because nobody even thought of it, you know, when you see 40 kids traipsing out of the church, you're not necessarily doing a count. Not in those days. It wasn't so important to do a head count. Nobody was trying to, you know, kidnap or harm children. Uh, and it was only about 20 feet from the door of the school to the door of the church. So it wasn't a cause for alarm right away, but they didn't in the future, they did get permission from my mom, from my mom, for me to participate in faith activities. Um, so that's what became of my relationship with Bethel in terms of how it got started with the church. The very first time the choir had to sing, well, of course, after all of these practices, I wanted to sing, but they sang on Sunday during worship. And so I didn't have a way to church. Uh, the church van signed me up and they came around every Sunday morning like clockwork and picked me up from my house and brought me home after church. Um, so they had a transport service for people who needed vehicles. And pretty soon my mom got curious about, hey, what is she doing on Sundays? And my mom came and got involved. My mom came to the church just to listen really and, and see me. And they hooked line and sinked her into uh, finances because my mom um, had some accounting abilities and was working on her accounting degree. And, um, and then got her involved in the ushers. And before you knew it, um, we were joining the church. Uh, I got baptized when I was uh, 10, just before I turned 10. No, it was just after, before I turned 11. Uh, my brother um, was baptized there. Uh, my mom and dad got um, um, involved in the church. My dad would come and support our stuff. Um, and then we just, we made a life of, 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 as members of the church. So that's kind of how we got connected to Bethel. Bethel was a Lutheran church. Um, the predecessor bodies to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America uh, were the American Lutheran Church and the Lutheran Church of America. So the ALC and the LCA or the, I'm, I'm saying one of those letters wrong. But. So this was pre prior to the ELCA formation, which occurred yes. in the late 80s, I think, right? Yes, it occurred in the 80s. And not, it was that, a, not, not that we're trying to give our listeners any kind of gauge of how old you are at all, but if they if they know how to do the math. Well, it, it was, and it was pretty close to, it was pretty close. I was still yeah. very much um, a child. And so the long and short of it is, um, after we got involved, um, we didn't know you know, Lutheran from Catholic from, we found a church home. Mm -hmm. um, we liked what they had to say about God. We loved all of the ministries and activities that they had for kids. My mom, particularly at that time, I was still very much a child. So I didn't, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of input. Um, it was a safe place for, and a safe outlet for me to go and be involved with other people. Um, and as she got to know the people, she, you know, could trust where I was. 
And it was the place where I wanted to be all the time. Every time there was something going on at the church, which seemed to be at least three or four times a week, I was there. There was a Bethel van pulling up in front of my house. Um, And so that was how we got involved. We didn't know what Lutheran so much meant. We began to learn um, different things, the Lord's Prayer, some of the things that were ritualistic, but formal learning that we had not necessarily experienced um, elsewhere. Uh, My mom grew up Southern Baptist uh, and I worshiped with my aunts because my aunts were all faithful church goers. And my mom went, you know, when she wasn't working, she spent a great deal of time working to make sure I had the things that I needed. Mm -hmm. And so I was um, um, on weekends when she had to work, I was, you know, my aunt's kid or my, my uncle's kid. And so I worshiped wherever they worshiped and they all worshiped in different places, Christian denominations, but different places. So everybody had a different take, um, but we found ourselves comfortable at Bethel between the choir and the trips and the activities and the vacation Bible school, everything that kept me involved and busy and learning. It was just good. I didn't know that the Lutheran church was a quote unquote white institution. Our pastor was white, but the congregation was black. It was on the west side of Chicago. Um, The principal was black. The children in school were mostly black. The only two white Lutherans I knew at the time were Pastor Nelson and his sister, Mary. So I had no idea that I was growing up in a white denomination, so to speak. I didn't really learn that until much later when I went to like my first youth gathering or when I went to uh, camp and saw all a lot of white kids or or someone would say to me, I didn't know there was any black churches in the in the ELC or in the Lutheran church. And uh, I, I think I was um, reprimanded once because I looked at someone and said, you know, up until I started coming to this, I didn't know there were any whites. <laughs> it was just our reality. Um, what we were learning about Lutheran and, and the theology behind Lutheran uh, institutions was about a grace. And speaking of Bethel, Uh, was one of the churches that started out as a white German church. Uh, Pastor David Nelson, when he uh, came there, he had just come from marching with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, um, And so he moved into the neighborhood and began to serve at Bethel Church and happened to invite a black family to attend church. That was the first time he experienced what happens when black families get invited to white spaces sometimes folks left Mm. and then everybody eventually left and then he was left with a congregation that was dwindling and a community that was changing the west side was changing uh, from a white neighborhood to a black neighborhood uh, from wealth and middle class to uh, impoverished people Mm -hmm. Uh, who were struggling. Um, houses were big and beautiful. Uh, they were multi-generational families living in one house and things like that. So the community was changing and he accommodated it. He began to create. And what he found was there was a lack of education um, options for parents who wanted their children to be raised in faith. And so there was a public school right across the street from the church. And um, to shorten a very long story, Uh, Bethel School got started. Uh, That was in the 60s. Um, And it started out with just seven kids. 
and uh, by the time I was there, it was over 150 kids, wow. well over. Um, and in the time that I, oh, go ahead. So Pastor, Pastor Nelson uh, presided over the church throughout this whole transformation, is that right? From really a, a white congregation to a, a mostly all black congregation and school. Um, and he hung in there with that, it sounds like, and not only hung in there with it, but he embraced and and helped that community to flourish. That, that's quite a story in itself. Yes, he did. He um, he didn't go anywhere. He stayed put. Uh, they built the school. They expanded the school. Um, and they got Bethel involved in, and, and Bethel is now known for Bethel Church, um, the ministry of Bethel Church. It's now known uh, and was formerly known for Bethel School, uh, the educational institution. And it went from zero to, I think, fourth grade to zero to eighth grade or uh, kindergarten to eighth grade. It went from, it, it gained a preschool and then uh, eventually, um, uh, the eighth grade moved over into a different building. Um, and so the long and short of it, Bethel developed a lot. And then Bethel New Life, which was the ministry of, um, of pieces of Jesus actually caring for the people, uh, what it meant to have affordable housing, what it meant to have income and job opportunities, what it meant uh, to have uh, value, uh, valued and necessary resources uh, in the community. Bethel New Life grew out of that need and it started out with housing, uh, but it became so much more. So Bethel Lutheran Church, Bethel School, Bethel New Life all were born and grew during that time. Well, not Bethel Church, it was already established, but uh, they all grew and they all grew under the care of a pastor and a community uh, that found a way to become partners and work together. Mm -hmm. um, it would be um, irresponsible to say uh, that a white pastor came in and saved the community. It would be very irresponsible to say um, that a white pastor had nothing to do with it. It was a partnership mm -hmm. and God yeah. worked through the partnership of this white pastor in this all black community, uh, each of us needing the mm -hmm. other um, to do what we did. And so Bethel grew uh, under the care of uh, David Nelson. David Nelson, his worldview expanded, widened it, it um, he was able to open the eyes of a lot of other people because of the partnership and the relationship with Bethel Church. So thank you for sharing that story. That's an important one. And um, boy, too bad for all the Christians, the white Christians who left that they couldn't experience that, you know, that growth and that how God's grace poured out on Bethel. Um, but I, I, you know, if I don't know if it's too crass to say, but I guess that's their loss, huh? Well, I think I don't think anything takes God by surprise. I think the people who were supposed to stay stayed uh, and the people that God had other plans for, the people who moved around, I think, you know, I'd like to think that they found their niche somewhere in faith activity and that uh, if they left originally because they couldn't contend with um, racial equality and that somehow or another their hearts were changed and there was a conversion and I, I hope the best. Um, mm. Whatever happened, um, I'd like to hope that somewhere along the way uh, they came to see something different. I don't know that that happened, but it'd be nice to hope about it. Yeah. So the bottom line is what drew me to ministry. Now that's a whole nother story. 
But the way I got started and involved in the Lutheran church was because of this white pastor pastoring a black congregation on Chicago's West side. So. Great. Great. Well, let's take the next step then. Can we? Um, sure. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, well, you know, while we're, while we're back there and uh, if it's okay, while we're, we're back there in um, the West side at Bethel community um, and we just touched on one aspect of um, discrimination, you know, or, or racial um, tensions, I suppose, between uh, it, it, within the church during that time in the 60s, I suppose. Um, any other stories from that time that you can think of that maybe were remembrances or highlights of inequities against uh, people of color? Yeah, um, I think um, some of the biggest things that I noticed, uh, Pastor Nelson was uh, definitely definitely uh, a proud supporter of Lutheran academic institutions. One of his major practices every year would be to take high school students uh, around the country, or at least around the Midwest, I won't say around the country, uh, but around the Midwest to visit Lutheran colleges so that as we uh, left high school, um, we would have a continuation of our faith, uh, I guess. Uh, and he was proud of uh, Lutheran institutions of learning. Um, I winded up uh, going to a Lutheran high school, which was of a different Lutheran denomination. What I noticed, um, I was probably out of the, I want to say there were about 500 kids in that school. At any given time, there were probably only 21 to 33 children of color specifically African descent or African-American uh, children uh, attending that school. Um, I remember looking at my graduating class, which was only 100 kids. Uh, it winded up being 98 who graduated, uh, two who had passed away before graduation. But out of that graduating class, I think six of us in that class were children of color. Well, I winded up going to um, Gustavus Adolphus College, which was in St. Peter, Minnesota, another Lutheran school. Pastor Nelson took us to visit SUMI College and uh, Valparaiso and Augustana, uh, Gustavus and St. Olaf. We, we went on these road trips to visit Lutheran colleges. He wanted us to consider it. I made my home at Gustavus Adolphus College. Um, there were 30 children of color. Um, black kids who attended Gustavus. Uh, at one point, there were 23. It got up to 30 in my time there. And then it dropped down. And that, at that point, I believe the school was approximately 2,700 uh, students. I didn't finish my education at Gustavus. I uh, came home and did a lot of things and left college to quote unquote, find myself. When I returned to college, I went to Carthage, which was another Lutheran institution in Kenosha, Wisconsin. There were 2,700 students, maybe 28, somewhere around 3,000. And in that population, there were only 122 uh, Black kids. Um, the numbers were never quite uh, even. Um, quite a few times I found myself the only at Luther North, 
at Gustavus, at Carthage, in my class. Uh, I found myself having to contend with um, the biases, not only of students, but of professors uh, who found my presence inconvenient, um, who, if they had to adjust the, their way of speaking, and some didn't bother to adjust the way they spoke to or about us. Uh, we found ourselves reading literature, um, um, especially because I was in uh, religion classes, I'll never forget, uh, in seminary, uh, which I went to a Lutheran seminary uh, when I finally got there. It was way more diverse. Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago was is situated on the south side of Chicago, right off the University of Chicago campus, um, just a few blocks uh, south of uh, former President Barack Obama's home. Um, and there's a dividing line. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this to say that I found myself in very similar situations, uh, but I found myself reading, inst reading books where they said uh, that black churches survive on chicken dinners. That was in the literature, that was in stru structured literature. That, that was, um, it was, it was hard. Um, I didn't know how to articulate what was going on at the time. Looking back on it, I know exactly um, why a lot of children who of color sit together at the lunchroom table. Uh, we feel very isolated in certain spaces. It set up a pattern of things, of feeling very isolated in um, spaces where we were few in number, where we were far away from home, particularly at Gustavus, I was in Minnesota. I was in a cold area. Um, some of the other things that I definitely recall, uh, being a young person in the Lutheran church, I winded up working for um, Lutheran camping systems uh, as a young adult, my first uh, year in uh, college. After that year, I went to work for, um, at the time it was called Lutheran Outdoor and Retreat Ministries of the Southwest, Lawrence. And it covered Texas pretty much. Um, which is no small feat, but it covered Texas. I'll never forget um, going and signing up to work at a camp and, and signing up. My, my mom and my family, they were worried. I took the train to Texas and I got off the train and um, the camp director who had recruited me um, met me at the train station and he was great, uh, just an amazing person. I got into camp and I, there were no other Black camping students. There were no black camping counselors. There weren't black camping staff. I found myself surrounded by white in a town I had never been in, in a, in a state where I was all alone. Uh, we did, it was not the age of cell phones. And um, so, you know, a lot of communication was writing. A lot of communication was short phone calls because then long distance calls were a thing. Um, I spent the first three weeks, which was training, um, as the only black person in town. We went into, I, I, want, I don't wanna call a particular store, but there was a store, you know, a big box store mm -hmm. um, that we went into. And there was a, a toddler preschooler in a stroller. And as I walked past, the little baby said, look, mommy, her skin is dirty. Um, 
I was regularly called beyond my name when folks were angry with me. That was their choice of, um, of epithet to use the N word uh, when they were angry. And then to come back and apologize and said, I was just mad. Mm. Um, I was just angry with you. So, so this was at a Christian camp. This was at a Christian camp. And uh, those who would, you know, refer to you in such a way at the Christian camp, these were other campers or these were staff or these were people in the community? These were, these were staff. This was all before campers got on campus. This was before campers arrived. This was three weeks. We did three weeks of training before we were prepared for children to arrive. Mm. Um, and then there were, of course, um, I was part of the travel team. Uh, which meant that I took camp to kids who were too young to spend the night. Um, it was what officially became Vacation Bible School and day camp wrapped into one. So we ran the Vacation Bible School program um, on site for kids who would come and stay from nine to three or nine to four um, for the week. And we ran the camp like a week long day camp. Um, and so I was in all kinds of towns in Texas I was in the big cities of Dallas and Fort Worth, Fort Worth and Houston, Galveston. Uh, we were up north as far as the Texarkana uh, um, places and as far east as Louisiana, as far west as New Mexico. Uh, so we were everywhere in Texas. And regularly I had to bite my tongue because folks felt okay calling me out of my name. Hmm. Um, regularly I had to bite my tongue because my staff members if they didn't like a choice I made, because I was the travel team leader, um, if they didn't like a choice I made, they called me out of my name. Um, you, you never really become desensitized, but you have to learn to cope. Mm -hmm. Because you're alone and now you have to figure out survival. You have to figure out safety. Uh, do I take a chance and stand up for myself and worry that a whole town is not going to hang up on me? And I think uh, the camp um, director at the time was uh, Bill Irons, um, who when he dressed up on staff night, dressed up like Mrs. Doubtfire and did a stellar job at looking like her. Um, but uh, Bill said, you know what, this weekend you're not working. I'm going to take you uh, into town. He, he and uh, we got we took a little road trip to Dallas uh, and he had some members of, of the congregation that he was a part of. Um, and I spent the day with them because they were African-American and I needed to have a sense of affirmation of myself uh, to feel OK, to feel comfortable just being. Um, it was just. It was part for the course, not just in camping systems, but throughout the school system. Um, we had, yeah, what year what year was that pastor Rhonda, if, if i can um, ask you for for lorms would have probably been in the early 90s okay early 90s mm -hmm. so we're not talking about civil rights times we're talking about the early 90s no. and uh, unfortunately really. even in the 2020s there may be similar situations i i would venture to guess the, well not. you don't have to guess it's definitely the case um i've had um even when I think to seminary, uh, which I wasn't in seminary until after uh, the turn of the millennium till 2000, uh, the end of 2004, top of 2005. Uh, I remember having a professor 
tell us that uh, in a particular class, uh, the white male voice had been silenced. And so it was going to be his job to focus on white male voices. And we were talking about church history. What are you supposed to do with that? I'm in a Lutheran church. When is the white male voice ever silenced in the Lutheran church? When is uh, the white male voice ever not considered? It's a given that right. this is a safe space for the white male voice and not that it shouldn't be a safe space. I think this professor resented that there were um, options for students of color. Um, we were told um, in certain classes when we had to learn the rituals of worship, learn um, to cant, uh, which is the, you know, the religious singing portions. Uh, you've heard them in worship when we had to sing portions of the prayers and things like that um, to use the regular Lutheran book. Uh, right around that time, the um, This Far By Faith hymnal which was a hymnal that had a heavy focus on um, the music stylings, the prayer stylings and the ritual stylings of African-American churches in the Lutheran denomination. Uh, that hymnal had come out. We were very proud of it because it was, um, the contributions came from uh, black Lutheran pastors um, and it had a lot of the standard stuff in, but just some other things that that were special to black uh, Americans at the time. But in the seminary, I was told that that, that wasn't the official Lutheran book, that uh, that book was not, it was not the form that I needed to know. The sad part is in some ways they were right. That That professor was right because the bottom line is Quite a few of the churches still couldn't tell you what a this far by faith hymnal is. Uh, quite a few churches uh, only sing those songs, those African-American songs on the third Sunday or in January or the commemoration of Dr. King's assassination or during Black History Month. Uh, it's not part of the standard musical fair, the standard ritual um style of worship um yeah quite a few churches you know hey you know can you can you see if you can get a copy of some black songs that maybe we could sing during black history month um so it's not just you're right it's not just in the 60s it's not jim crow south it's right here in the progressive midwest uh post millennium um that we're still contending. That's our stopping point for part one. Rhonda shared some tough realities, and I hope that in some way they sparked thought, interest, or just broaden your perspective. Next week, tune in for more of the conversation, including insights from Pastor Rhonda on cross-contextual ministry. But for now, that wraps up this episode of Just Stories. We hope you've enjoyed this time and you'll join us again. Just Stories is a partnership with Our Savior's Lutheran Church, an ELCA member church, where all are welcome, and we join in God's reconciling work, which prioritizes disenfranchised, 
vulnerable and displaced people in our communities and the world. See you next time.